Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Please open up your Bibles to the 8th chapter of Romans. Kind of a red letter day for me today. Kind of a milestone, but also, well, probably not for you, but for me, maybe a little bit of a sad spot. Today, we are going to actually finish the eighth chapter of Romans. <laughs> this is. <laughs> Ushers, would you... Uh, <laughs> My mixed feelings has to do with my conviction, as you have heard many times, that the eighth chapter of Romans, that the the letter of Romans is the greatest letter ever penned, and that the eighth chapter is the great chapter of that great letter. So, let's jump in here and bring to a conclusion what Paul brings to a conclusion There definitely is a a change of thought at the end of Romans chapter 8, moving into chapter 9, and he brings the thought to a conclusion here with a crescendo, a mighty climax of thought here. But let me just set the stage. What Paul said in verse 28 is that all things work for the good of those who are called of God. Verse 30, that for those individuals, final and eternal glorification is secured. Verse 31, he goes on to say that since God gave His Son for you, that is a guarantee that He is going to give you everything that you need. Verse 32, or verse 33, since God is the one who justifies, no one, no one can make a charge in heaven's courtroom against those that God has justified. And then verse 34 that based upon who Jesus is, what He did, where He's at, and what He is doing, what He did, He died and rose. Where He's at, He's at the Father's right hand on the throne of heaven, ruling sovereignly and what He is doing, interceding indeed for the saints. Because of those truths, then no one can condemn you if you're a son or a daughter of God. What is Paul's design here? What is Paul 
wanting to accomplish? Well, obviously, he's wanting to accomplish throughout all of the eighth chapter, as we've said many, many times, as I've said many times, is he wants the believer to understand the secure position of their justification, of their salvation. But specifically, it's all been a setup for verse 35 and what's coming in the end of this chapter. You see, you have to remember the context of the first century readers to whom he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to the church of Rome. First century believers. And those first century believers were living in a location and in a time where there had been and still was a lot of persecution, a lot of cost that came associated with claiming the name of Jesus Christ. And so, he unpacks this great truth through the 8th chapter of Romans. And he pours courage into the believer about their secure position in God's saving grace through what Jesus has done so that He can say this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Remember, He's been asking questions starting back in verse 31. God is for us. Who can be against us? He didn't give the explicit answer, but his point is this, absolutely no one. And he continues in verse 32, 31 and 32 and 33 and 34, asking questions. Questions that drive the same point home. If God is for you, and He is, if God's love is toward you, and it is, then what can possibly happen to you to change that? And he comes here to verse 35, and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Zero in on the phrase love of Christ. Let me just ask a question here. What is it that we can't be separated from? It's the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? What kind of love is the love of Christ? Let's just get the answer from the immediate pretext, from the verse that immediately follows. See if we can extrapolate out of that verse some characteristics about the one who loves us, Jesus Christ, <coughs> and what that would mean related to His love. Well, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus is the one who died. What does that say about His love? He's the one that died for you if you're a believer. Here's what it means. That His love is limitless. He didn't hold anything back for you. Limitless love. Secondly, He's the one who was raised. What kind of a love is that? That's a victorious love. That's a love that beat out death in the grave. It's good to have that kind of love 
on your side. Amen? It's also a love related to Jesus Christ who is where? He is at the right hand of God. That's the throne of heaven. That's the ruling position of the universe. You know what kind of love that is? That's an omnipotent love. That's a love to whom nothing is impossible. And then, Paul goes on to say, Christ Jesus is also the one who indeed is interceding for us. But that's really what I want to focus on right there. Because I think that's what's in the mind and the heart of Paul when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, in that idea that Jesus Christ is right now at the right hand of the Father, indeed interceding, constantly interceding, unceasingly, unendingly interceding for those that He saves. Here's what it means. It means that kind of love is a current active love. It's not a love of yesterday. It's not a love of history. It's a love of the moment. It's a love of this moment right now that is as strong and active right now as it has ever been or ever will be. And now in this moment, it's a love right now that is active and as strong as it will ever be. And now in this moment, and you get the picture, it's a love that is currently actively moving out toward all that are His. Unceasingly engaged. You see, here's the point here. This unceasing intercession of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is that He is working Currently working, unceasingly working. Wait a minute, why is He working? He already accomplished salvation. Yes, He did. He fully accomplished it. He fully completed it. But what He's doing now at the right hand of the Father is that He is making sure that His full and complete accomplished work of salvation comes to absolute fruition to everyone that is His. That everyone that the Father has given to Him, everyone that has put their faith in Christ, He is tirelessly working to make sure that His perfectly accomplished salvation becomes a full and accomplished reality for every one of us throughout all eternity. So it is a love that is constantly current all the time. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Shall this separate us? Verse 35 again, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. What is Paul doing here? Here's what I believe he's doing. I believe he's changing a focus from what he has been focusing on to another focus, to a new aspect of the truth of the security of the believer. You see, in verses 31, 32, 33, and 34, 
I believe Paul's focus was on God. If God is for us, who can be against us? God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up. How will He not also, along with Him, give us all things? You see, the point He is getting at there is that, or the question that He is solving or answering is, is there any way that God will ever change His mind about us? Those that are His sons or His daughters, those that He has predetermined that He has elected and foreknew that He has predestined and called that He has justified. Is there any way that God's attitude toward us is going to change? And so what He does in verses 31, 32, 33, and 34 is He answers that question. And He says, man, if God gave you His Son, if He gave you the best... What's he going to do? Is he going to stop now? No way he's going to stop now. Because all of the blessings of God are yes in Christ. You've got Christ. You've got it all. Verse 33, Paul continues by saying, Can anyone bring a charge against you if you're a son or daughter of God? I mean, into the courtroom of heaven where eternal destinies are settled, can anyone bring a charge against a son or a daughter of God? And Paul's point is absolutely not. Verse 34, he continues this focus on God and he says, look, Jesus Christ who died, who rose, who was exalted to the right hand of God and is currently working and interceding, That omnipotent one on the throne, if he is that actively engaged in the past and in the present and throughout all of the future, what in the world is going to change related to his love toward you? Well, the point is nothing. God changes not. See, that all has been a focus on God, but I think what happens here in verse 35 is Paul changes the focus. And he is exploring another question now. And the question is this. What about you? Can you do anything as a son or a daughter of God that would cause you to move outside of God's love or fall from His love? Is it possible? And why do I think that that is His focus? Why do I think that's the change Because he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate you from the love of God? You see, those are things that happen to us in this life. He's already said, no one can be against us if God is for us. So now he is answering the question that is lingering, well, what about if we blow it? What about if the son or the daughter of God does something to take themselves outside of the love of God? Is that possible? And his point is that tribulation and distress and persecution and famine is and nakedness and danger and sword, none of them can.
He says in verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, why, why does he throw that in there? That's a quote from Psalms 44.22. Why does he throw that in there? I think it's his point. He's saying this. Not only is it possible for believers to face tribulation and distress and persecution and famineness and nakedness and danger and sword. Not only is that possible, he says in a quoting from, from the Old Testament, it's happening. It's happening. We are, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Those hardships and tribulations and persecutions, they're a real deal. See, I think Paul is talking to them in the midst of their circumstances saying, I know you're hard-pressed. I know you're under it. And at times, it can be very oppressive. Even to the point of fearing for life. But don't you worry. Don't you worry. None of that can separate you from the love of God. How can he say that with such strong conviction? Does he know everyone in the Roman church that are believers? Or let me take that infinitely further. Does he know everyone that would read and study this letter, every believer down through history? Absolutely not. So how can he say with such great confidence throughout this challenge that can any of these ever separate the son or the daughter of God from his love? Well, here's why he can say it with such confidence. He tells us, Three times in these five verses, three times, what it is that keeps us secure. What the power is that keeps us where we are safe. Notice the three statements. We just looked at one, verse 35. It is the, quote, love of Christ that we cannot be separated from. It's not our love for Christ. It's the love of Christ. His love for us. That's the point. Verse 37. It is through Him who loved us that we are more than conquerors in every Single, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Verse 39, it is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord that proves that we cannot be separated from Him. Do you see all three of those are completely and exclusively resting upon the person of God, not the person that is saved. So the question is not, the question is not, can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword cause me 
or cause you as a son or a daughter of God to not endure to the end? That's not the question. The question is this. Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword ever cause the love of God not to endure toward His sons or His daughters? Everything rests upon God. Salvation is all of God. It is all of God in His saving. It is all of God in His securing. It is God in His sanctifying. And it is God in His glorifying us. Do we participate with Him? Yes, we participate. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Scripture says. But the truth right there in that very passage is this, but it is God who works in you both the will and the act according to His good purpose. It's the workings of God that make that happen. So what Paul is doing here is he's answering this question, is it possible in any scenario for anything to come against the life of a believer and cause them to fall into apostasy and outside of the love of God, outside of the reach of His grace, and come under condemnation? It's the question that he is answering. And the answer is no. Why? Because it's God's love. Because it's Christ's love. Because it's God's love in Christ that makes us more than conquerors. Not our love. His. Verse 37. Paul answers, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Would you just look at that word, that phrase, more than conquerors for a minute? Ha! Do you hear what that is saying? Would you just reflect upon that truth for a minute? He is not saying. The promise here is that even though you're going to get beat pretty bad, eventually you're going to make it even if it's by the skin of your teeth. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't even say, regardless of what comes against you, you're going to win. He said that, but he said way more than that. He didn't even say that you're going to be a conqueror in every tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. He said that, but he said more than that. Here's what he said. You're going to be more than a conqueror. Can I get an amen to that? You're going to be more than a conqueror. In what? In this. In tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He's not trying to identify seven things. He's trying to encompass all things. Amen? All things. More than conquerors. You don't have to squeak by getting to heaven. You can ride the victory train to heaven. That's the promise right here. That's the promise. Ah, oh, that's awesome. That is flat out awesome. 
Then he comes to his great crescendo statement. He climbs to the highest peak of the truth and stands on the pinnacle and shouts out from this pinnacle of truth on the Mount Everest of Romans chapter 8. And he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in life or in death. It's pretty comprehensive statements. But that's not all. Nothing in the realm of the heavenly or the demonic. Do you hear it there? He said, nor angels, nor rulers, nor powers. Then he said, nothing in time. He said, not things present, nor things to come. Then he said, nothing in space. There is no height, nor no depth that can separate you. And then he, as if he had missed anything, making sure that he encompassed all things, he takes his pen out and he draws a circle around all of the universe in one all-encompassing statement and he says this to sum it up, nor anything else in all creation. You know what that means? That means no created thing. How many things are there besides the created things? What's left? There's one that's left. God is left. He's the uncreated one. And so that truth is that there is absolutely not one created thing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. Not one. And he's already made the point all the way through Romans chapter 8 and very definitively in verses 28, God's eternal purposes in saving 8, 28 and 29. And then in 30, that nothing can be, 31, that nothing can be against you if God is for you. And that no one can condemn you if God justifies. And that Jesus Christ, God's very Son, died, rose, is seated at the right hand and is receding. So we know this. God is for you. God is all out for you. If you're a son or a daughter of God, He has committed Himself 110% to you. And then Paul says, and nothing else in all creation. No created thing can separate you from the love of God. So that means this, folks. The conclusion is this. Impossible for you to be separated from the love of God. Impossible. There is nothing that is ever going to change God's love for you and there is nothing in all creation that's going to bring about a circumstance that is going to take you, even your own decisions, from a place of being in God's love to being out of God's love. You see, let me just make the point even a little more explicit. Some believe, and I would say, folks, I used to believe this years ago until I studied more deeply into the truth of God's Word. Some believe that 
those whom God calls to Himself that put their faith in Jesus Christ have been justified by Him. That no one can snatch them out of God's hand. However, they can jump. They can leap. They can do something that takes them out. Now, I just want to apply that. We've looked at that so many times in Romans chapter 8. I mean many, many times to refute that idea. But let's just take the statement right here in verse 39. How all-encompassing is the statement nor anything else in all creation? What is included in the all creation? Isn't the believer also included in the all creation? Has to be. Has to be. So he is there saying that even the believer is not going to do something that causes them to leap outside of or move outside of the love of God. Why? Because they are in a part of the all creation that nothing in that creation can separate us from the love of God. The point, the believer is secure. The point. Now, how, do we are, how are we to understand this promise? Let's say a few thoughts in closing here. Are we to understand this promise as saying that since God elected us and He predestined and called us effectually and justifies us and promises to glorify us that on the way to glory that what we can do is just pursue the sinful desires of the flesh and live in that kind of pleasure? No, that's not what he is saying at all. That is not what he is saying. As a matter of fact, you've been here for a few years, you know this, Paul devoted an entire two chapters to answer that warped view. Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, right before, right before, this great chapter on security, he spends two entire chapters to dig a hole and bury in the depths of hell that idea that you can just go on and sin as you want on your way to heaven. You cannot do that. And then he comes to Romans chapter 8 and he relentlessly builds up this doctrine of the security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints until the end. And then at the end of that great chapter, having just given argument after argument, logical, airtight arguments about the security of the believer, he comes to verse 35, and we understand why he has been saying this so adamantly and so aggressively, because he knows what the believers at Rome were going through, and he wants to tell them that nothing is going to change their position, even when they face all of these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. That they're secure even in the midst of the lion's den. They're secure. 
that they're secure even when they're being burned to light the gardens of Nero. They're secure. To say to believers down through history that they are secure even when they're imprisoned and their property is confiscated and they're separated from their families. I'm sure you've read the news. We have some pretty key examples of Christian persecution right now around this world that are going on. Some of the researchers tell us that over 100,000 believers a year are persecuted intensely for their faith in Christ. And so what he's doing here, please don't miss this application point. God didn't give us the word to increase our knowledge. He gave it to change our lives. So don't miss this application point. The point is this. The message of security in the 8th chapter of Romans is not given for you and I to live a life of ease on the way to heaven. That's not why it was given. The message of the 8th chapter of Romans and the security of the believer was given so that you and I would, regardless of what comes in life, regardless of how tough it may get at times in the midst of our walking for Christ and the ridicule or the scorn or the unfair treatment down the road, the imprisonment down the road, even the death that comes as a result of it, that we would not waver in our walk, we would not waver in our faith, but we would know that it is all just temporary in being used by God for our good, Romans 8.28, and that none of it is going to separate us from the love of God, and we're going to be in heaven in eternity with the glory of Christ reigning with Him forever so that whatever comes right now, we can endure it in courage and in power because we know what's coming. That's why he wrote Romans chapter 8. Not to encourage your ease, but to get your radical commitment. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. It's not so that you can go and live a life of sin It's so that you can go and live a life of suffering if that's what is called for. Because you know that none of it is outside of the loving hand of God. And all of it will be for your good and for your glory. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah to that. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Oh, the message of Romans chapter 8. One last thought. Paul says in verse 38, For I am what? For I am sure. I am sure. Are you sure? You know what Paul is saying there? You know that that statement in the Greek is in the passive tense? Here's what that means. It's not something 
that Paul worked up in his own heart. Here's what it means. Paul says, I have become absolutely unchangingly convinced based upon what God has shown me based upon what God has done and the truth that I realize I have arrived at the place of a calculated reasoning understanding. It has brought me, the facts have brought me to this place. I am absolutely sure that there is no possibility that I can come out of the love of God, that any believer can move out of the love of God. That's what he is saying in that statement and that's what he is working at in the hearts and the minds of those that he is writing to. And so I'm asking you this morning, are you sure? Are you sure? God wants you to be sure. If you're a son or a daughter of God, God wants you to be sure that nothing, nothing, no nothing can take you outside of the love of God. And He wants you to be sure of that so that you have the courage in the midst of whatever this world throws you to live a life of radical commitment to Him. Knowing that it is just fleeting and passing away. And that glory is coming. For Jesus who for the glory set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that's where we're going. Spiritually speaking, believers are already there, seated next to Christ. And that's going to be true physically, bodily one day. That joy is set before us. And based upon that joy being set before us, what should we do? We should endure whatever crosses come our way. Whatever tribulation or hardships or pain or famine or sword come our way. We should see right through it to the joy of the glory. Right through to the joy of the glory. Would you please stand? Let's pray, church. The worship team comes. Father, thank you for the eighth chapter of Romans. Thank you for its sublime truth. Thank you for revealing that truth through your spirit to me. Pray that it would be settled in our hearts, my heart and in the heart of those that are here, that we could say with Paul, for I am sure. I have become absolutely convinced that nothing, no nothing, and separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
And let that cause to rise up within us a great courage, a great boldness to live based upon that reality instead of what we see and feel right here that's fleeting. It's what's coming that is the real. And this is just the fleeting. Help us to do that for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.